If you have your Bibles with you and you want to turn there, we take some scripture out of the Gospel according to Luke in chapter 16. And uh, we'll start reading at verse 1 and read down through uh, about verse 12. And uh, in this particular set of scripture, you know, the, the chapter just before this, I guess you could call it the chapter about the lost souls or the lost things because immediately before this is when Jesus related the parable of the prodigal son in which that he had returned to his father after that he had uh, gotten all of his money, took it and wasted it on, you know, uh, living low. Uh, and, you know, then Jesus begins to talk about essentially in this next chapter about getting ready for what comes next. And in chapter 16, uh, you know, the heading that my Bible has for this particular chapter, you've got the parable of the unjust steward, and then, of course, the rich man and Lazarus. And both are instances of essentially saying, you need to get ready for what's coming after this life. And, uh, you know, that one of the things that uh, we have to concentrate on as Christians, one of the things that the world needs to know uh, is that death is sure. And, you know, I've studied lots of other religions uh, before I ever became a Christian. I looked at the others just in case, you know, it just so happened that uh, it was a coincidence that I was raised in a Christian home. I'd come from being essentially an atheist when I was a teenager to uh, uh, searching out and, and looking at all these other religions. And all of them agreed on certain things. And one of the big ones was that at some point you're going to die and you need to prepare now. And the thing is that with all of those other religions, they say it's all on you. You've got to make all the preparations and then if you mess up and you come short, well, that's on you too. But of course, Christianity, Jesus, He put it very plainly uh, in, in John fourteen six when He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, uh, but you see, there is something. We've got to work toward that. We've got to seek Him out while He may yet be found. We've got to answer when it is that He calls. Uh, and this parable of the uh, of the dishonest steward or the unjust steward uh, uh, that we're getting ready to read, you'll find uh, that at a certain point he figures out there's coming a reckoning and he knows enough to get ready for what's going to happen after he's reckoned unto his master. And so we'll start reading in Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 1. It says, And he said also to his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Now what a steward is, we'll stop right there. And what a steward was, was they were kind of like a manager. Somebody that, uh, you know, you hear about these celebrities. I've never had so much money that I've needed somebody else to manage it for me. I've never been blessed to that extent or cursed with it, depending on how you look at it. Uh, uh, but they put the things in their hands so that they can manage it and they don't have to look to it. Uh, very similar to what Joseph was to Potiphar in his house in the Old Testament uh, that Joseph took care of everything. Thing. And Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything but the food that he put in his mouth. Uh, uh, and that this steward now, the problem was, uh, is that he's been accused uh, uh, of misusing the funds, of embezzlement, uh, of being lazy uh, and not doing his job. 
And now a lot of people misunderstand this parable and think uh, because the man is commended for what he's about to do uh, as though that that was permission uh, to be a bad steward and that's not the case at all. Uh, But what it was was he got ready uh, for a reckoning uh, because when the master tells him this and says, you're going to reckon and you're going to give an account, he basically admits his guilt here. Because if you read on in verse 3, It says, Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship I cannot dig to beg I am ashamed. If he was innocent of this, he would have been able to prove it. He would have been able to account for the things that he had done. And I think more than anything, his sin was the same sin as the man in the parable of the talents when it was that the man had one talent given to him and he told his master when the appropriate time come, I did nothing. And let me tell you something, and don't take this the wrong way, church, but nothing and doing nothing will send a person to hell. That you look around and you say, I didn't do anything. I can tell you that any time I've ever gotten on to a student at school uh, and I see them, catch them red-handed, they'll look right at me and say, I didn't do nothing. And I'll tell them, I know you didn't do nothing, you did something. First of all, you ain't been paying attention in English class because you don't use double negatives. And secondly, I laid my own eyes on you and saw what that you had done. But there'll be people at the reckoning before the Most High God that they'll look at Him and say, I didn't do anything. And He'll say, exactly. You didn't do anything. Say, but I'm not a murderer. And God will show them a time in which that had they, had they not been worried about going to jail, they would have killed somebody. They murdered in their heart. And that's a murderer. Yeah, but I never committed adultery. I was faithful to my spouse. And they'll say, yes, but you're only faithful because you were worried about getting caught. And you're an adulterer. And you may say, oh my brother Jeremiah, you mean to tell me that I'm guilty of those things? Yes. And when Jesus told them, this is not my doctrine. This is what saith the Word of God. That Jesus, when He told them these things and elevated the law, He was telling Telling them you need a savior. It's no different than on that movie Forrest Gump. And it's one of the the funnier scenes, but in the intervening years, I found it to be very interesting. There's a scene when Forrest Gump, if you've never watched it, it's a a reasonably good movie. But in the movie, uh, Lieutenant Dan looks over at him and says, Gump, have you found Jesus? And Gump is a mentally diminished man. And he said, I didn't even know I was supposed to be looking for him. But that's the way the world is a lot of times. I didn't even know I was supposed to be looking for this guy, Jesus. Uh, And I think about that kind of similar though to like the man at the pool of Bethesda. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He was looking at the pool. He was waiting for the water. He said, I have no man. Uh, Jesus showed up and told him, I will be what you need. Uh, I've come to help you. Uh, That that man didn't make it into the water. Uh, When he met Jesus, he made it into the fire. Uh, And Jesus made him whole. Uh, Told him, commanded him, take Pick up your bed and carry it out of here. Now, do you honestly think that that man said, well, that's great, but I ain't following anything else that guy says. Or rather, did he look around and say, you know what? He saved me from that. I believe I'll hear him out on some of these other things. And this, uh, we're we're given a certain measure of blessing from God just in the life that we have. And how we use that is our stewardship. And are we just stewards over what God has given us? 
You know, I've heard it preached all my life that uh, we owe God 10%. That's the minimum. That's the bare minimum. And I can tell you, you hire an employee uh, and you give them the minimum and that's all they aim for, a lot of times uh, what they're doing is they're doing just enough to keep from getting fired. Uh, And I tell you that we're not called into this service uh, to do just barely enough, uh, but we're called to be good stewards over what God has blessed us with. Uh, We have certain abilities and talents uh, and we need to put them to work for God uh, because we were not created to die. Man was not created that he should die, but man chose death when he sinned against God. And this unjust steward, now he looks around and he says, man, if I don't do something, if I don't get ready for after I stand before my master and have to give an account, then things are going to be rough. And so notice what he does. It says in verse 4, I am resolved what to do that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. And verse 5 it says, So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, An hundred measured of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Verse 7, Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, An hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Now don't... Don't mistake that and think, well, Jesus is saying, oh, He went around and forgive debts that really weren't His to forgive. But what it's saying is He made preparation. He saw, hey, something bad is coming and I better get ready for what's coming so that I might be okay. And what He did was He endeared Himself to those next people that had owed His Master money. Wasn't His to give. He was a thief. But what's commended is the fact that He got ready. And that's what we're called to do. There's a song in the hymnal titled Getting Ready to Leave This World because this is not the final place. We're not going to stay here. That our youth will be spent if we're blessed to make it into old age. And then after this life, the Bible says that it's appointed unto man once to die. And after this is judgment. And the way that Jesus mentioned it in the 12th chapter of this same book, He said you're going to give an account for everything you've said. Every idle word, every evil thought, every foul deed that you've ever conceived of or thought about or been tempted by. And you may say, oh my goodness, Brother Jeremiah, even my thoughts, yes, even those. Well then how can I be saved? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's but one way, and that's Jesus Christ. His blood shed for us. We're not good enough. You're looking at a man that the only thing that separates him from hell is a thin red line that is the blood of Jesus Christ. That I'm not good enough. I'm not so good that I didn't need a Savior. And let me tell you something. There's nobody so bad that they cannot be saved. That what we've got to look at is there something to get ready for after this life. And if you were, and, and we don't have time to finish out this entire chapter, but if you were to read on about this, uh, 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 that Jesus re- begins to relate and says, Look, uh, nobody can serve two masters. Right. 
And I'll tell you, that is a bad place to be. I don't know if any of you have ever had a job where you didn't have a clear supervisor. I've had one, and I didn't enjoy it. I had two different people telling me two different things to do. One would get mad at me whenever I do what the other one said, and vice versa. And I remember how maddening it was until one day, what I did to remedy the situation is I caught them both in the same place at the same time and I pointed my finger right at them and I said, look, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I said, but you all need to get on the same page and make up my mind for me. I can't serve you both to the same ability. Well, now you think about trying to serve your own desires and serve God too. You can't do that. What will end up happening is you'll leave one in the lurch and the other one you'll take care of and the way the Apostle Paul put it uh, is he said if you want to really put something aside uh, put aside the flesh uh, and concentrate on God uh, because there's something that comes afterward and this flesh isn't eternal I can take you to several different places in which that I can show you people who have spent the larger portion of their life serving the flesh oh yeah really you don't have to look around far in this day and time to find somebody all you have to do is find a drug addict They're serving the flesh. Their flesh groans and desires against these things and they give it to Him. And it's never satisfied. It always wants more. It's never enough. And you may say, well, Brother Jeremiah, I'm not a drug addict. No, but we've all got that flaw. We've all got that temptation. That thing that when we serve it and allow it to have rain in our life, we're never filled up. We're always empty. But when we put aside the flesh and serve the Lord, I can tell you that we will be satisfied. He will not leave us unsatisfied. Now, uh, don't don't mistake and think that I'm up here telling you, oh, you give your heart to the Lord, or oh, you serve God like you ought to, uh, that everything's going to be easy. Jesus told His own disciples, uh, in serving Me, you will suffer. uh, uh, But there will be a reward waiting on the other side. Uh, The way Paul laid it out to Timothy in his last letter to him, uh, is he told him, he said, I'm ready to be offered. Uh, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. Uh, I've finished the course and he knew there was a crown laid up for him and a robe and he was ready to receive it because he knew that that corruptible flesh couldn't inherit the incorruptible things of the most high God and this unjust judge the reason that he's commended is because he had enough sense to prepare for what was coming yes and many times I've told over the years in my time there at Marshall University uh, uh, that I had occasion to walk uh, up to Smith Hall. It's one of the taller buildings on campus. And I remember walking up normally there at that main door by Old Main. Uh, there are pe- people just a gin and in and out of there. I mean, just a church crowd every few seconds had come through there. And I was going to my class in that building and I walked up and it was like there was a log jam. Everybody was just standing out there in that open area. And I began to look and try to tiptoe over the taller people and everything, try to figure out what was going on. And then I I, I just asked, what's going on? What's the hold up? I'm that guy. I was the non-traditional older student that would speak up when nobody else wanted to. I said, what's going on? Somebody turned around and looked and said, fire alarm's going off. And I looked at the building. I walked around it. Looked way up in those windows. Didn't see any fire. (laughs) Didn't smell any smoke. The building looked fine to me. 
And this was the same group of people that I'd seen just a week earlier when a man was standing out in the field preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. That they ever won. I heard several of them, and several of them were there. That when he was talking about dying and going to hell, they said, we're fine with that. With a grin on their face. We're fine with that. I tell you, when you're young, it seems like old age is a long way away. Uh, yeah. Yet it is the bat of an eye, a breath, a vapor. But yet this same group of people who was perfectly fine with dying and going to hell because death seemed so far away wouldn't go into a building on the off chance it was on fire. Uh On the possibility. They had enough sense to flee from that wrath. They had enough sense, hey, I ain't going in that building on the off chance that it might be on fire. But then they'll play loose and fast with eternity not realizing that the next heartbeat is a gift from God. That without Him, God doesn't have to kill anybody. All He has to do is stop letting them live. That's how that He blesses us is by allowing His heart to keep beating. By allowing us to be able to get out of the bed in the morning. And there is a preparation to be made, church, that if we don't make it and eternity finds us, we're going to find ourselves like the rich man that's talked about in the latter part of this chapter. It says when he died, he lifted up his eyes in hell. And he was in torment. Wanted just a drop of water if that was all that he could get. And I'll tell you this, I'm not the first person to begin to preach about hell. But I'll tell you this, it's to be avoided. And in avoiding hell. And that's the only requisite for somebody to be saved. I've heard people preach other doctrine as what it is necessary in order for a person to be saved. You know what is number one and really only... As you look around and you say, you know what, I don't want to die, I'd go to hell. Oh, yes. That's it. Now I've seen people try to put age limits on it and say, oh no, that kid's too young. Look, that kid understands that when they die, they'll go to hell. They're ready to be saved because they understand what's coming next. And they understand, let me tell you, you go to a cemetery and you look and you count up the length of life, you'll find that there's no standard. I had a young man in the school several years ago. It was my first year teaching. And they were talking about it while they were working on a project for me. And I'll just let the kids talk. And they were talking about uh, eternity and dying and things. And this one kid, and I'll tell you, he must have lived a real sheltered life. But somebody talked about, well, uh, aren't you worried you're going to die? Used his name. I'll not use it here. But told him, said, aren't you, aren't you worried you're going to die? And he said, well, I ain't even old enough to die yet. And I looked over. I didn't say anything. The kid said, you're goofy. There's no minimum age to die. They batted it back and forth, argued, and finally one of them looked and said, Mr. Williamson? And I, what? And they said, tell him. And I looked right at him and I said, son, I said, you go to a graveyard and you'll find that there's people that lived but a day. Oh yeah. Some that didn't even get that. And he looked around at me and he said, you mean I could die at any time? And I said, yeah, one out of one people dies. And he said, well, what can I do? And I thought, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. I might get brought up before the school board. But then one of the other kids turned to him and said, you need Jesus. I just pointed right at him. I have to say a word and they won't get in trouble for saying it. Right. And I, I just kind of did the charades thing. 
Right there. That kid's told you everything you need to know. I haven't heard from the kid, but I'll tell you this. Seed was sown that day. Oh, yes. And he's been told he must make preparation. Yes, yes, amen. We must be ready for eternity. Yes. And let's say you're sitting there saying, Brother Jeremiah, that's all well and good for the lost people, but what about me who's been on this way X number of years? Well, I can tell you this, rough road may lay ahead. You better get ready. You better be praying. You better be studying the Word of God. You better be asking, seeking, and knocking because there may be difficult times come ahead and you don't want to find yourself unprepared for the temptations that are going to come your way, for the trials that are going to trial you, and for the patience that you might need. Now, I can be perfectly honest with you. I've been described by more than a few people as being very patient. But I've also had to look at a few students over the years because I'm pretty easy going and I'll kind of, you know, go roll with the punches as they say. But there's been a time or two when I've had to look at one of them and say, look, even my patience has its limits. And I'll tell them, you need to hush. And even God's patience runs out. How long will we serve ourselves? Or the way that it's put here is mammon. Mammon means evil things and, and, and worldly things. And Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve both. And as a Christian, you shouldn't be seeking to do that. They say a work-life balance. I've had men tell me when I was in business, oh, you've got your church life and you've got your work life. No, there's but one life. And you're going to give an account for it. And when you stand before God and it says that all will stand before Him and be judged... And the, the star prosecutor that will be standing there pointing her finger at us is Satan himself. Oh, yes. And he's got a good memory. He'll bring up stuff you might have forgot about. Oh, yeah. But then you'll have to look around and say, yeah, yeah, I did that. Guilty. Yes. You'll be the star witness in your own prosecution. And you may look around and say, and the way that I kind of think of it is kind of like, I don't know if any of you do this, but over the years I'd have a dream that'd be unsettling. You know, and in the midst of the dream though, I'd, I'd stop and say, wait a minute. This ain't true. This ain't real. There's another op. This is a dream. Yes. And what I kind of see is in that moment when you begin to realize your guilt, uh, that in walks the Savior, uh, uh, having bought you with His own blood and says, Father, I paid for every one of those sins. My blood has been shed on those. And God will go to the record of your life and throw open the book. And everywhere that it recorded sin for you, it's blotted out by the blood of Jesus Christ. But you don't get that by accident. You have to choose it. Man in choosing chose sin and was sent out of the Garden of Eden. Yes, yes. And you know why that nobody will choose to leave heaven? Because they will have worked and sought to get there and chosen yes. it. Nobody, you will encounter no one in heaven where you walk up to them and they'll say, you know, I don't even know how I got here. <laughs> just, I just looked around and I was here. But you'll find lots of people in hell that'll say, but I was... I was so good. Yeah. I, I was I was better than than these other people. 
that they viewed the church as nothing but a museum for hypocrites. And I was one of those people when I was younger. I was busy looking at everybody else's sin until the Lord made me realize, look, if you really want to compare yourself to somebody and know if you're perfect and know if you're going to make it, then look at Christ. And if you do better than Him, then you're good to go. But I think you'll find that you're not. Because He was the same man that when they were yanking out hands full of His beard... And you know, I think about that every time that I shave and nick myself or every time that I accidentally, my beard gets caught in my shirt collar and I turn my head and it plucks one out and I, and they walked up and grabbed his beard by the hands full and tore it out of his face. He didn't curse. He didn't revile. He didn't hit anybody. He didn't even get mad. That's how sinless that he was. That while they were killing him, he was asking God to forgive them because they didn't know what they were doing. That's the man that he was. If you're that good, then you have no need of a Savior. But I'll tell you this very plainly. In this book right here, it says that there are none so good that they need not be saved, nor none so bad that they cannot be saved. That all who will come to Him can be saved. And all of you who are saved, you need to understand maintenance is far better than repair. Growing up, I worked a lot for my father and for his business. And that was one of the things he often said. He would have me years ago, we had a mower. And I, and I tell this on myself, you know, just to kind of laugh at myself. But he tasked me one day with greasing the drive line on one of those mowers. He said, Jeremiah, I want you to grease the driveline on that mower. I'd never greased anything in my life other than maybe greased a pan before I tried to fry something in it. That's about it. And I said, well, how am I going to do that? And he pointed at the grease gun. Oh, okay. And I knew there was some connection there because I'd seen him take that grease gun and do something with it there. But I had no idea. And so he had to go somewhere else and then he come back. And I greased the driveline on that thing. Well, what I did was I pumped grease out into the palm of my hand with that grease gun and I smeared it all over those universal joints. And, and don't get too caught up in the details, but I thought, well, it's greased. I greased it. When he got back, and I was still sinkholing around there, I didn't find anything else to do because he didn't tell me what to do. I was about 13 or 14 years old. And he got ready to fire that thing out and he looked over at me and he said, you grease that grease line? Well, yeah. Yeah, I greased it. And then he said, how did you grease that driveline? Well, uh, I described it just like I did to you. And he looked at me and he said something that to be honest until that I started preaching the gospel, it was almost forgotten to me. He said, that does no good until it gets on the inside. The same as the Word of God. It does no good until it gets on the inside. He told me, he said, that universal joint, yeah, it'll last a while without that grease, but it'll last even longer when it gets to the inside. He said, that's maintenance. He said, repair is a lot more expensive and a lot more difficult than what maintenance is. And I tell you this, brothers and sisters, your relationship to the Lord is a lot better to be maintained than it is to need repair. That if you lay aside the things of the Lord, you might find the wheels begin to fall off. It's real easy to get lazy and to not maintain things. And another thing that he told me over the years, and of course as a teenager, I'd do the typical thing where I'd 
whatever. Roll my eyes. Okay, Dad, you say that all the time. And then I found as I got older, I started saying it. He'd say, son, grease is cheaper than steel. Yeah. I don't know if you've all ever priced steel compared to grease. There's a big difference. Yes. Way cheaper. Oh, yeah. And that steel, when it wears out, it's a whole lot harder to fix. Yes, right. Our relationship to God must be maintained. Yes, amen. Getting ready for whatever comes along. Because here's the thing that I think the category that a lot of Christians fall into. And when I say this, know that I'm not talking about anybody but the guy you see in front of you right now. That years ago, I never found myself at the church house very often. I came only sporadically. Just whenever, really, whenever that I couldn't come up with a good excuse not to go. Still held myself as a Christian. And I was thinking about that after that I'd kind of got a little more devoted and got a little more conviction about me to make it out to the house of the Lord and to study His Word and to have a regular prayer life. And I was down working on a car in my garage. And I learned very early on, like if you're changing a tire, and everybody here that's ever changed a tire knows this, if you're changing one beside the road, and those lug nuts, you've got them all taken off, and you're putting the spare tire on, and say most vehicles, at least when I started working on them, they had five lug nuts. Oh, yeah. Okay? And every vehicle has all five of them on it. But let's say you lose all five of the one you just took off. Well, the easy fix, and I was told this, and it made sense to me, said you can take one off of two other wheels and put it on there to hold that one on until you can get more to put on it and to replace the five that you lost. And I thought about that as our, as our relationship to God. You know, you can do that and put just those two lug nuts on and run up and down the road and you'll never know the difference. That wheel will be fine. Yeah. And that's the same as a person who's been saved and baptized. They've got the two lug nuts and they're going around in life saying, I'm saved, but I don't need to go to church and I don't need to read my Bible and I don't need to have a regular prayer life. But I'll tell you of the truth, and I know this from personal experience. You can run up down the road with just those two lug nuts on and it's fine until the road gets rough. Uh, yeah. Until you really go to going through some rough and difficult places uh, and you're liable to break both of those lug studs off and you'll see the wheel pass you. Oh, yeah. If you really want to be a Christian and stay a Christian and be a light uh, and to shine the light for people, you'll need all five. Uh, yes, being saved and baptized, those are the first two. Uh, but you should also come out to the house of the Lord. Uh, you should also read the Word of God. Uh, and you should have a regular prayer life. Uh, and if you don't, then you're going to be scrambling when the difficulty oh, yeah. comes. As I've said before, we shouldn't say God is our last resort. We should turn to Him first. Right. Not second. Put God first. Amen. Not just wait until your back's against the wall and you don't know what else to do. Uh-huh. Yes, right. Because I can tell you this, and there's a sign right on the other side of that door right there It says prayer changes things. Yes. And I know for a fact that it does. Yes. It does indeed change oh, things. Yes. But there's a day to get ready for an eternity in which that we're going to spend at one of two places. There's no third option, regardless of what unsound doctrine would have you to believe. And there is a heaven that you only get to one way. Oh, yes. And that's through and by the blood of Jesus Christ. Any other way won't work. 
And any doctrine that would tell you otherwise is a lie out of hell. Right. And we need to remember. And, and, and if you study the Word of God, you'll know this. Yeah. If you're familiar with it. You know, I, I, I've played out the scenario in my mind lots before that if somebody were to only give me just one or two words in order to preach to somebody, if I only had just a moment to try to get them saved, there's but one word that I could use for that, and that's Jesus. Yeah. Because I would think that if, 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 if they knew nothing else, and I told them that name, if they Googled it, I believe that God would direct them. Yes. God would move them oh, in yeah. the right direction to receive what Jesus brought into this world, which was the salvation of men, which is the light of this world. He come that we might have life and that we have it more abundantly. Okay, this unjust steward that we just read about, he's not a good example of anything except for somebody getting ready for when the wheels fall off. Oh yeah. Being prepared. And you can't prepare for everything. But what you can do is you can get ready for eternity. Yes. Because you can't be good enough. Yes. You can't do enough good deeds. Let's say that you believe in karma. You know, and that, that's a foundation in Buddhism and a lot of the other uh, Eastern religions. And, and, and I've had people tell me, oh, you know, well, uh, karma. First of all, as a Christian, you shouldn't believe all that. That should right. be hooey. Because karma, what it states, if you understand it, is for every bad thing you do, you have to do something good just to bring it to zero. Just cancel that out. And then once you've done that, then you've got to keep doing good in order to have more in the positive column rather than in the negative but imagine this. How much time do you have left to make up for all the bad wow. things you've ever done? What about the person who realizes that but it's too late? Yeah. Or they forgot something and so they can't make up for it. See, karma is just unsound. Because Jesus, He said, Come unto Me all you that are labored and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Yes. He said He's meek and lowly. And all you've got to do is receive Him. Yes. It's not about your deeds. It's not about doing good things. Now, I can tell you this. You get a good healthy dose of the Holy Ghost in your life, you can't help but be good and do good. Because He'll cause you to love the unlovable. Yes. He'll cause you to want to be a blessing to this world and to let your light shine. But you can't work your way into heaven. You don't get there by that. It's one way, and that's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When people stand up, if you get shoulder to shoulder with somebody in heaven and you look over at them and say, hey, how'd you make it here? Let's say you find Abraham from the Old Testament. Abraham, how'd you make it? Jesus died a long time after you. He'd look at you and say, yes, but I looked forward to His day. And I knew that He would save me from my sins. That I looked for that day when His blood would be shed for me and just like you, I'm here because of the blood of the Lamb. No other way can a person make it to heaven. That's it. That's all that it takes. That the good deeds, well, those are fine. But a lost person can do good deeds. We can fake those sorts of things. But when you have the true love of God in your life, to where that you can bless those that curse you, where that when they smite you on one cheek, you can offer them also the other. And believe me, when I say this, I'm still working on that one. But I can tell you this, 
When you get to where, if, if you need that kind of grace, He'll give it to you. He'll give you whatever you need so that you can work for Him. And you have but to ask. He literally said, you have not because you ask not. Yeah. Saying, if you ask for it in faith believing, I'll make sure it happens. I don't know about you, but there are very few guarantees in this world, but I'll take that as a guarantee. Because when I read my Bible, I'm always looking for a warning. I'm always looking for a commandment, and I'm always looking for a promise. Those are the three big things you should always look for in the Word of God when you read it. And when He says, if you ask, I'll do it, you count on that. That's a promise. And who better to give a promise than the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ Himself because He can back it up. And I don't know the hearts and minds of everybody that's here.